Michael Myers is a human being who killed his sister when he was six years old. Here we are, January 31st, Throwback Thursday edition of the Halloween Unleashed podcast. I am your host, Chris Morgan, and today we're definitely going to go back in time, uh, not too long ago, just a few months, to um, the history of the independent Myers mask. And uh, that was a voice memo based show where people send in their voice memos. And um, we simply played them and then answered them on the air. Um, so you're going to hear some, some pretty pretty neat stories. Um, does it cover every single mask that was ever invented? No. Again, um, we put it out there. What mask do you want to know about? And we played what we got. We got, we got several. Um, so anyway, wanted to kind of go over, um, something kind of funny is, you know, so many people on the HMMAT podcast, when they were following that said, well, if you guys were on Spotify, I, you know, I, I would listen to you there. Oh, if you guys were on this platform, I, I'd listen to you there, but you know, it's really just hard for me to open up Podbean, or it's really hard for me to or to, to, to get it on iTunes because I ha- I have to listen to it at my PC, and uh, you know the the list goes on and on and on. So I get Anchor obviously and uh, rebrand the show into Halloween Unleashed, and of course where. We're on every major platform, Google Play, Pod, Podcast Addict, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, uh, I think I said Google Play. We're on all the major ones. And the funny thing is, is uh, those are the lowest rated downloads and everybody's still going to the Anchor app or going to the Anchor website. So... I think I'm under the impression that people just didn't want to listen to the show. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just found that fascinating because, you know, I get to look at, you know, where the downloads are coming from. Um, I'll be honest, Throwback Thursdays are struggling a little bit. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of views on the posts um, in the Halloween Unleashed group where the polls are being put up, the episodes are being put up, but uh, there's not a whole lot of interaction uh, going on outside of the the, the main people that uh, I appreciate you guys. 
Um, of course, there's a lot of people that just don't comment. They go listen and they they go about their day. The the numbers on the weekly episodic episodes are, are doing very well. Um, but the throwback Thursdays are definitely struggling. So I don't know if it's just, hey, I've already heard this before or uh, I, I don't know what it is. But I also had another question or comment um, here recently about... Are you guys going to, I mean, because eventually, I mean, you've only got 38 episodes of the uh, HMMAT, the podcast. What's going to happen to Throwback Thursday when all that is over with? Well, that's a great question. Um, I I really enjoy doing um, voice memo based shows. So, like, what, what I may do is uh, if... If we run out of topics for Throwback Thursday, we'll just uh, we'll just turn it over to a, a an episodic weekly thing on Thursday still to keep that to keep that format alive, but make it a question answer type show, a Q and A um, Q and A Thursdays or something, where people uh, either email us, make comments, send in voicemails, whatever they feel like doing. And then I'll just I'll talk about them on the air outside of our uh, episodic uh, based format um, episodes that we're going to do each and every single week. But uh, yeah, next week is the Halloween Six Mask episode. We're going to cover some backstory on Halloween Six, um, the various uh, screen use masks, what happened with those masks, and of course the independent counterparts that are out there. So we're going to cover all that next week. I'm going to have Brandon uh, Zachman on the show. He's done a lot of research. And then I got another Brandon who's a friend of mine through, uh, through the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's going to be joining me as well on some other shows, um, which I think will be a, a really good time. So I'm really just trying to make this a fun interactive show. And uh, I obviously want to want to, advertise for you guys and get more guests on the show. Uh, there's been a lot of people that's asked for Rick Ramby, just trying to get his, uh, his schedule and my schedule to link up. Um, he's got a promotion at work and his time is a whole lot less than it used to be. So we're still going to work on trying to get him on. Um, but, uh, definitely have some really, really cool ideas coming. I uh, really appreciate you guys buying shirts and buying merchandise and, the coffee mugs and the posters and the whole nine yards really, really appreciate that. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to continue, um, getting this show, uh, exactly where it needs to be going forward. So it's very mask heavy right now in the first several weeks, um, just simply because that's the audience that we're uh, catering to right now. And I want, uh, the Halloween fan base, as they start to discover us and discover the indie side, I want them to have these episodes. I think it's very important. Um, t- when they come into this world, they see a whole history of things and episode- episodes being laid out for them. Um, I think that is extremely huge. So we're going to continue going that, that direction. And uh, eventually, uh, like I said, we're going to start talking more movies but a lot of the stories that are out there, people pretty much know. But uh, maybe we'll we'll break down some actors. You know, we'll, we'll break down some fan films as well, 
and uh, talk about the history of that. But anyway, uh, enjoy Throwback Thursday, and we will talk to each and every single one of you next week for the Halloween 6 mask episode. Thanks. You're listening to Halloween Unleashed. If you weren't there, you've heard about it, but the boom period for the independent Myers mask. And here we go. Let's take it away. Hey, Chris, this is Jimmy. Just uh, I'm going to throw out two different masks that I maybe want a backstory on. First off, uh, let's go with the V75. What's the backstory on that one? And lately been seeing the phenomenal work Rick's been doing with the DIY. If you have any info on that one, too, that would be great to hear. Uh, thanks again for having me. Have a good one. Great question, Jimmy. And uh, I'm going to answer this as best as I can so it's clear. Um, I think it was right around 2011, 2012, uh, Brian Hoffman at Masket Case Studios uh, was able to convince uh, the Medleys, who own one of the original 1975 Kirks, to clay press the, the face, neck, and ears. And then the rest he sculpted on, uh, which ended up making the HMK, Hoffman Medley Kirk. Since that original Hoffman Medley Kirk, there has been so many derivatives of that of that source. Pretty much everything that Bry has come out with since then has been a derivative of, uh, a derivative of that, um, like the like the stretch mask that he did, the H2SM, the H1SM, uh, the uh, DIY, the um, God, I, I know I'm missing several in here. I uh, just can't think of all. There's, There's been a lot. Uh, the HMK, which, which was the original. Um, gosh, there's been so many. Uh, the later the same night. Um, that That's just to name a few. But... Uh, yeah, the DIY ended up getting picked up by Martin Pena that ended up selling it to Rick Ramby, which uh, Rick had asked me about it. I told him about it. Uh, we've got some plans going forward together on it. I'll just leave it there. Um, but uh, but yeah, great mask on that. Uh, the V75. The V75 was right after... Um, I already had the JTK being worked on at the time in February of 2012 and simultaneously at the same time since Justin was taking away the Night Stalker and the Legendary 75, I had two pieces in my lineup I needed to replace. So when the Night Stalker um, and the Legendary was announced that that, that they were going to be retired... Um, I got, uh, you know, told what they wouldn't bother me on. And I had a, I had a life cast. I wanted to do one off of the life cast. I hadn't started the second sculpt yet, but I originally hired, um, Kevin Murphy, who, um, has been on this podcast several times. Um, he started with that right around the time that Tots and Justin told me to, Stopped doing the Night Stalker. And uh, he started on that original 
life cast sculpt of the V-75. He worked on it for a few weeks and ended up uh, taking a job with uh, another FX shop and he had to abandon the project. When he left uh, that project, I hired um, somebody that came highly recommended that lived in the area that worked with uh, Universal's Halloween Horror Nights and has worked Don Post Studios, had worked with Sam McCain in the past, uh, but his name was Michael Burnett. And uh, Michael just never quite got it what the end result was going to be. He took three weeks worth of what Kevin was had worked on and he took it backwards to to the point it was undistinguishable. Um, and after a month of not updating me and seeing the direction it was going, I... I ordered a meeting to go to his uh, his warehouse here in Orlando, and I, I actually I, I fired him and took my sculpt back. And he was holding my uh, V seventy five sculpt um, hostage until I paid him. So I paid Kevin for his work, and then I had to pay Michael Burnett to get my sculpt out of his shop. So now. I'm nowhere near close to being done, and I'm out a thousand bucks. Then I hired the guy who did the did the JTK to finish it off. He got it as far as he could, and then he had to leave. And I'm out an extra twelve hundred bucks, and now I'm out twenty two hundred dollars. And then at that point, uh, I asked Amy, who did the Legendary seventy five and the Mayhem, to step in and try to dial this thing home what she did and you know all in all I was out uh, close to four thousand dollars on that sculpt and uh, but it originally started from the life cast and right now it looks anything but because you had four different visions on it four different sculptors and Michael Burnett took it so far in the opposite direction that again he didn't get it he didn't understand what we were trying to create he told me that when he was sculpting it that he was looking at actual images of William Shatner when he was 35 versus looking at the 1975 Captain Kirk that I mask that I that I gave him several reference photos of the original mask for him to recreate that but he didn't get it he decided to go his own direction and that is what it is. But thank you for asking the question, and uh, keep sending them in. We'll keep getting you on. Thanks, Jimmy. Next up, we have B-Man Jim. Take it away, B-Man. Hey, this is B-Man Jim. I know me and you, Chris, touched on this lightly the other day. Um, but what's the story behind Boogeyman Masks? Thanks, Jimbo. And uh, Boogeyman Mask, that's another... Man, we're getting all kinds of uh, really cool stories to tell. Boogeyman Masks um, was run by a gentleman named David Pope. David was a disciple artist of Mask Maker Productions, Gary Phillips. Uh, Gary taught David everything that he knew and uh, ended up helping David get started by selling him molds and masters and 
or just licensing him. <laughs> licensing an independent. See, you got me all uh, talking about licenses with all this official talk uh, on other things. But uh, no, uh, let me back that up and restate that uh, so nobody's confused. MMP, um, much like I did with Rick Ramby, uh, sent him molds and masters and said, hey, I'm not giving these exclusively to you, but everyone that you produce or sell, you know, basically I get royalties off of my mold. And that's kind of uh, what happened. David Pope um, not only got good, but he got really, really good. And his prices were fair. Uh, He was one of, because back then, you know, back in 2000, 2001, I think he got out in about 2005, if I'm not mistaken. I know I was away from the hobby for a few years, and he was out when I came back. I mean, he would still answer emails, but he wasn't active. He had moved on to other parts of his life. But uh, uh, David and I became really, really good friends. Um, I was not a mass maker back in the early years. I didn't become a mass maker until 2008, 2009 when I came back. So David became the guy that I sent all of my work to. Um, and there's a there was a student film that I did back in film school that was a remake of the of the um, strangulation scene in Halloween One with uh, PJ Souls. I used a boogeyman mask for that. It's actually in the MMNet gallery um, with the blue lighting, and it was a it was a Boogeyman 75, but it was just a renamed Unleashed 75 or UL 75. Um, but that was done up by David. David also did uh, different variations of the Sam Hain, uh, the Brothers. Uh, gosh, I, I no, it was just called the Brother, not the Brothers Return. That was that belongs to another asshole that I'm not going to mention on this podcast. Um. But David did some extraordinary work. Uh, then he got a nemesis mold that he named uh, the Tiberius. Then he did. He was one of the first guys to do the split mask of the half Myers, half Kirk. Uh, then from the Tiberius, which the Tiberius, the star date or the star star date seventy eight, uh, is all derivatives of the nemesis with Kirk eyes, basically. But David ended up coming out with the Boogeyman 75. That was a retooled Nemesis mask. Um, there's still some that you can find available secondhand. Um, I just recently, believe it or not, just this year, it's funny that you bring up Boogeyman masks. I talked to David earlier this year for the first time. God, since 2008, so 10 years. Um, I don't know how he found my Gmail email address, but he messaged me through there and was looking to potentially purchase a uh, a mold from me that I wasn't using any longer. Um, I politely declined, and we haven't talked since. But you know, we we caught up over a few emails. Uh, he's just looking to kind of make some side masks here and there. And uh, it was really cool catching up. But yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot 
of other stuff in his life going on that he's moved on to. But uh, for a period of about four or five years, for his prices, his customer service, uh, his work spoke for itself. He just he was untouchable, and he was a very much like like a Rick Ramby in a sense that would give you the shirt off of his back. Uh, was a no nonsense just straight to the point customer driven guy that worked worked tirelessly i can't say enough good things about david pope and boogeyman masks and just hearing the name boogeyman masks and david pope it takes me back to a golden era from 2000 till about 2004 2005 that really i i cannot stress enough uh speaking of which um, back then I was making a lot of Halloween fan films. Like you've heard Patrick Jacobs on this very podcast. And I'm, and I'm going to throw a little, a little history of Halloween fan films in here. Uh, cause Patrick had mentioned it on one of the posts recently. Uh, I want to dedicate a whole episode to fan films, but for this purpose, I'm going to keep it very short and we'll cover it in long form a different time. But, uh, Patrick, ran the Halloween fan films um, site for a long time. And then he was getting out and around the year 2000, 2001 passed it over to me because I was doing a lot of fan films at the time, but I uh, started running the Halloween fan film site. That's how David and I sort of met indirectly. And then uh, Gary Phillips completely uh, introduced us and got us working together. But long story short, as I was running a um, a fan film message board, and it was kind of cool that David had a little small um, message board on his Boogeyman Masks uh, website, and um, I just ha- happened to ask him. I said, "Hey, I do a lot of Halloween fan films. You do some of the best Myers masks on the planet. What if we kind of combine?" Um, message boards and we're both co-administrators and you know you you bring in the mass people i bring in the film people and it it's one of those things uh that that will really uh be a good thing for both of us and until i got out in 2004 um he and i stayed uh co-administrators and ran our own uh ran a coexisting message board um that lasted about three and a half, four years, but it was, um, again, he just a real fantastic time. It's, it's a time that will never be duplicated ever again. I know you hear a lot of people say certain things like that, but when you really go back into the early years of mass collecting, mass making, um, from an independent perspective on the Meyer side, it really is one of those things that will never be duplicated ever again. There's too many people involved. There's too much. I mean, it was always political, but back then it was like, it was just really like a very small handful of guys. That was almost like a fraternity that you had to know the secret handshake and how to invis, uh, how to summon the invisible swordsman on how to acquire some of these things. It was extremely underground. Um, but now with social media and, everything there's it, there's not the uh there's not the privacy to it anymore 
and everybody is out in the open with it and it's 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 bad so it'll never happen again um but yeah just just that name alone boogeyman masks is just great times great guy great company and great question uh keep sending that uh, that stuff in um and uh we will continue to get you on the air and uh answer your questions but thank you for sending that in um great times i'm i may go back and see if i still have any of my old boogeyman mask uh pictures because i owned uh quite a bit from him thanks appreciate that jim next up we have chad take it away chad hey chris uh chad here um i've picked my topic for discussion and i would like to discuss horror sanctum studios if you can do that for me i greatly appreciate it thank you Horror Sanctum Studios. Um, I'm going to try to talk about him as much as I can. Sam, who's uh, unfortunately no longer with us, um, passed away a few years ago. Um, I just, I don't feel good talking about someone who is, and nothing I have to say about Sam is bad, okay? I just, I don't know, I feel kind of weird uh, outside of paying respects to someone who's no longer with us, I just feel weird going into a lot of their company history. But I'm going to try to um, hit the high points and just tell you what I know and just tell you um, my personal interactions with them. Um, Sam McCain worked for Don Post Studios in the 70s. Uh, was also responsible for putting out the very first independent uh, Myers mask. Um, forget the name of it. He came back out with it. Uh, I guess he found an old copy or an old um, an old version of it, and he kind of casted his old his old mask, enlarged it, and re and put it back out again. Uh, someone can correct me on the name. I'm not real sure. Um, yeah, I, I remember seeing it come back out in 2012, 2013, a couple years before he passed, but I just do, do not remember the name of it, to be honest with you. But I know it, uh, it came out in 1981. Maybe it was called the shape 81. Yeah, I think it's called the shape 81. So if someone has better information, please correct me on that. I just don't have it in front of me. And there's not a whole lot of information about him out there anymore. Um, but yeah, horror, you know, after he broke off, he started uh, Horror Sanctum. Uh, I think that's why Shape 81. Um, he also was the first person to come out with the original mass-produced Freddy mask, um, which was pretty damn cool. Sam just has a lot of history uh, that is, I feel Sam got more recognition from the hobby, and this is my personal opinion, uh, I think he got more recognition from the hobby, unfortunately, after he was no longer here. Um, why he didn't get the notoriety and the stuff that he so rightfully deserved because of his history and what he brought us, I'll never know. And it's not for me to figure out. But Sam 
was a man's man. Um, he was a no bullshit type of guy. If he liked you, he liked you. If he didn't, he would gladly tell you. Um, I could respect that. Um, I could consider Sam a friend. He and I talked quite a bit over the phone and we met up several times at different conventions, our paths cross and, um, he came out with a lot of in, um, ground up sculpts. I know that his Halloween four was a uh, side by side re-sculpt or not re-sculpt. I'm sorry. A uh, again, I don't plan anything out that I say. I just hit record, so that's not going to be edited out. But I know that he sat side by side with uh, with a screen used and and sculpted one from ground up in wet clay. Uh, he also did several life cast sculpts, uh, the shape 08. Um, then he had the HSS 75, which is, um, the HSS 75 SM. I think, um, I think Tyler Adams owns that mold. If not, I think, uh, Josh Palmer bought it from him if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, then you had the devious line, the maniacal line, the you know uh, re-release with Darren Perks of the '99 Shatner, which I'm not going to get into. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of controversy in that and how it was re redone or whatnot. And since I own the original mold and everything, and and he's not here to to talk about it, I'm just not going to delve any further than that. But uh, I know one of his most crowning achievements was doing the T-1000 um, replica. I mean, there's so many that he's done, but the T-1000 replica was absolutely his best piece. I saw it in person at Horror Hound Indianapolis in 2012. And the amount of detail and just the work that he put into that was just second to none. I know he got a chance to show uh, Linda Hamilton and Robert Patrick at at one of the conventions where she gave him a giant kiss and a hug, and he gave her one. Um, just remarkable, just fantastic stuff. You know, it's, he got to do things with people that you and I could only dream of. To have Linda Hamilton personally endorse it like that was was huge. Um, and shortly after that, after that, he, he left this, this earth way too soon. Uh, he had a wife and had kids and, uh, I, I met all of them and just had the utmost respect for him. You know, it's again, if he had something on his mind, much like me, except he was, had a little, at times he had a little bit more tech than me. And other times he would just, if he wanted to motherfuck you, he would motherfuck you. And he would not uh, waste any time about it. But great guy for sure. And uh, really sad that he's no longer with us. So Sam, if you're listening, love you buddy. And um, hope you're watching down on all of us. Next up we got a first timer and real big fan of the podcast. Take it away Jerry, this one's on you. Hey Chris, I'm a big fan of the podcast and your work. Uh, let me first say... If you ever find the time to uh, get back to making some masks, uh, I'd love to be the first on the list for the one that you do. 
that mask is uh, just about the best I've ever seen. A couple of questions about some of your earlier work. I have a JTK 78 that's obviously different from the standard JTK. Being that it doesn't have the big JTK stamp on the back, I've heard a few people uh, called it a castle edition. Don't know if that's true or it's just a special edition. Anyway, I haven't seen a, another one out there other than mine. Do you remember doing a lot of these? I also own a Legendary 75. I heard the story you told about uh, Justin uh, telling you to let that line die out quietly. So I guess there's probably not too many of those out there as well. So I'm definitely glad I was able to snag one. Alright man, thanks a lot. First of all, great voice take and I really appreciate the kind words about the podcast and I really appreciate the, uh, the voice take. And now I'm going to answer your question. Um, the JTK-78 with the stamps on the back was the original run uh, JTK. The ones without um, were um, were the second edition. It was not a castle edition. There was just no, no name for it. Just uh, I know there was a lot of people that wanted... Um, they wanted a JTK without the giant stamps on the back and a shorter neck. So that was my way of coming out with a second edition that didn't have those things uh, on the back to appease uh, the people that didn't like big gigantic stamps on the back of their mask. That's really all it was. I mean, it wasn't named anything special or different or anything of that nature. Yeah, the... the uh, the legendary seventy-five. Um, where do I begin? I, I got some cool stories about that. The legendary seventy-five was wanted to be created uh, because we wanted we wanted to come up with a Kirk version of the Night Stalker. But the problem with the legendary seventy-five is what it should have been is just a direct. Um, Casting of the Nightmare slash Night Stalker, and uh, just had Kirk eyes put on it, put it put in it, just like what uh, was done with the Nightmare Unlimited uh, from Nag. But um, what we decided to do, I mean, we were looking. I mean, we had a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of people giving feedback on what we should do, what we shouldn't do. There were some people saying, "Hey, you know, you should try to make it more like a like a KH." Uh, you should try to make it more like this and more like that. So instead of instead of just doing a direct retool of the Nightmare slash Night Stalker, the Legendary 75 turned into a Kirk version that morphed into four or five other replicas. And to me and my... In my personal opinion, that was a huge mistake. Because you heard me say on this podcast last week, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty. At the time, I thought, hey, we're going to have uh, four or five different of the most popular replicas in this sculpt. Who's not going to want one? This is going to be the greatest mask ever. In my opinion, didn't end up that way. You heard me say on this very podcast last week, that um, I don't like any of the retools or the derivatives of the Nightmare. Why? It's because you're changing 
the original casting of the 75 Kirk. That's why. Regardless if it has Kirk eyes or it has no eyes in the Nightmare slash Night Stalker's case, it's still the closest to the original 75 Kirk. Now, the Legendary 75 was originally meant to come in and take the place of the Night Stalker line. And truth be told, back in 2011, eye cuts were not my specialty. You can look at some of my early Night Stalker work, and some of it's pretty pretty atrocious, if I'm being honest with myself. Uh, some of the work back then, because I was trying to copy so many other artists... Uh, based on I was doing a lot of paint-ups that were custom for the customers. They would send me pictures of a Photoshop JC mask or a Photoshopped AHG or somebody else uh, and say, hey, can you make it look like this? Knowing what I know about pictures and two-dimension and post-production and uh, different things is to be able to do that and with your own naked eye is you got to go over the top to match that over the top picture. And then by the time your customer takes a picture of that over the top rendition, it looks even more over the top, especially when they add in their, um, their edits. So it always looked a little cartoonish. And anyway, I'm getting off subject here. Um, I, I just always felt that the Legendary 75 really never got to be what it should have been, and that is just a direct, um, an upgrade, a direct upgrade to the Nightmare slash Night Stalker, keep everything exactly the same. If I had it to do over, and I have the vision that I have now, I just would have gone back, um, not changed anything, inserted the Kirk eyes, and just called it a day. And called it the Night Stalker Kirk. That would have been it. Um, Or I could have kept the Legendary 75. But anyway. So. This went back and forth. Again there was four or five people. uh, From. um, Colin Maine. To Simon Edwards. uh, To. The idiot I've talked about on this podcast. Dick Clutch. To AHG to, uh, gosh, there were so many other people involved that was given feedback. And one person would say, I like this. The other person would say, no, make it more like this. No, make it more like this. Before you had it, you had five different cooks in the kitchen all trying to cook uh, a feast for everybody. And the legend and, and, and the sculptor, Amy, I mean, God bless her. She um, she put up with with all the changes, all the edits. She would re-edit something or re or re-sculpt something, and then I would go back and say, "No, that's not what I meant. Um, I just got new advice. Look at this overlay. Look at these pictures. Do it like this." And she was just by the end of it, she was glad to be done. <laughs> so um, it it really just was one of those those sculpts that it was our first retool, first. Uh, chance at coming out with our with a different version of one of our lineups and uh it just didn't go very smooth and um it had a very short run it 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 was released in october of 2011 and it was done by april of 2012 so a very 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 short run but we molded 
we molded the uh, the the legendary seventy five, and when we went to go uh, demold the sculpt out of the stone mold, um, I had never used burlap. I never felt the need to um, in past, even doing two piece molds. Never have. There's an, some artists going to listen to this and go, "Oh my god, he didn't use burlap." Um, in in my history, I've never had to ever. Um, I know some people swear by it, but looking back on it, probably should have, but I'm going to tell you exactly what happened is, uh, the sculpt, which we did, uh, the clay pour in, uh, Chavant medium clay. Um, it, then we put a clear coat over the top and et cetera. As we were demolding it, it created a chemical lock and it would not pry apart. This is where probably burlap would have saved me. Uh, but as I'm prying it apart, instead of going from the top and just keep trying to work it from the top and on the bottom and not putting much stress on the sides, I was still new in my career. So, um, definitely brand new to, um, to molding a sculpt that's been in solid clay. So, um, as we're prying it open, I was prying it from the side and the whole half front half of the mold on the face snapped in half and broke the mold straight down. Uh, if you're looking at it, looking at the right side, so proper left, and there was a nice clean break straight down and we're thinking, Oh shit. And we had already kind of gouged up the sculpt. So we couldn't just remold that section. And we're like, well, we got to repair the mold. So what we did was, is, uh, we got it back together. There was some shards missing. So we had to fill that in. But on the outside, uh, while one of us held the mold on, the other, the other one of us uh, laid the Ultra Cal 30 on the outside of the mold to just hold that section in place. Then we came through with a little um, plastic bag, cut the end off, almost like you're frosting a cake, like a cake froster. And, uh, we did, uh, instead of doing ultra Cal 30, cause it, you know, to rub it back smooth, it's a little, still is a little rough, but we decided to go with joint compound and we filled in that inside of the mold of the crack with joint compound and then smoothed it, sanded it down to the point where it was just clean as a whistle. I mean, you can, unless you were there, unless you knew what happened, you would never be able to see it. Maybe you can on your copy now. Um, if you can, um, let me know, shoot me some pictures if you can find it. But yeah, there's an ultra smooth area right, right down from the top of the head, right down to the, to the bottom of the neck. And it's a straight line. And if you can find it, kudos to you. But, uh, yeah, we knew that once we had that there, we didn't know if that was going to hold long term. We had to make the, the assessment of, we're going to have to master this thing. Now, keep in mind, this two-piece mold weighed 100 pounds. 
So it was a thick, thick, thick two-piece mold. But 100 pounds. And um, I'm not one of those people that likes using Smooth-On's brush-on 40 um, because it's just... Uh, part A is not bad. Part B is like the peanut butter side where you, it's just, it's really sticky. It's hard to mix and it's just, it's a pain in the fucking ass. So I prefer using, um, rotocast urethane to make my masters. So we sealed up the porous plaster, uh, mold immediately and we're rotocasting a, a hundred pound two piece mold between the two of us. And we're trying to keep it moving because if you let it pool on one side, it's going to get real hard and thick and you're not going to be able to get that, that master out of a one piece mold. So we're trying to rotocast this thing like crazy, um, in Florida heat (laughs) and, uh, try not to break our backs at the same time. But I remember shortly after that, I had some severe back problems and, uh, my partner did too, and it was just, uh, it was, just to get that thing in production was, was a nightmare, <laughs> no pun intended. But then, um, to go through the bullshit of having to lie to my customers that Justin made us shut it down because it came from his mask, it came out of his shop, which it didn't, which we just, we are, we've already discovered, uh, discussed in several episodes uh, at this point if something's not clear on that send in a voice memo i can answer that again um but i'm not going to waste time here talking about it but if you want to know just ask another question and i'll be happy to answer it but yeah um so the so the legendary 75 while there's some fun um myers copies out there there's just a few i think there was yeah there was only ever one kirk done and that has since been converted, but, uh, overall, uh, AHG did three copies, um, total. And if I'm being honest to put another artist over, I, 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 at least from the pictures I saw, you know, he had the, the best copies done. Um, I know he did one, one for me that appears in my H35 film. Um, in the party scene towards the end, um, you, which you'll probably be able to spot it, and it looks a lot like a KH. So, again, it had its it had its good moments, but I think that damn sculpt was or retool was snake bit uh, from the time that we commissioned it, and then started asking everybody for their opinions on it. Um, that's why I'm so against some artists giving like putting out there, Hey, give me feedback. I understand why you want to do it. You're, you're marketing to the general public. You want the public to give you feedback, um, because they're ultimately going to be the ones that are buying it. But one of the things that I've learned is try to take everything with an open mind and a grain of salt. But at some point you got to know your end result of what, of what you're going for and take in various amounts of constructive criticism. But then at some point you got to cut that criticism off and dial it in and shut everybody out and bring it in the best to the best of your abilities. Because every time we made it a community project, we had uh, 
probably a hundred different sculptors because <laughs> uh, you all you had a hundred different opinions. Well, this needs to be tweaked. Well, okay, well, if you tweak that, then that's got to be tweaked. And if you tweak that, that's got to be tweaked. So you're constantly tweaking stuff and never getting to the end result of what you started with. And now the project ends up being just a, an overall abomination. So that's that's my feeling on it. Um, I hope that that answers your, your question on the history of the Legendary 75. Um, that master I kept around... Um, until shortly before, well, no, I moved into my new house and was unboxing a lot of my masters last year. And that one, um, unfortunately, like my inflicted, um, master got gooey and melted and it's, there's, there's no way that that mask, even if I wanted to, could ever come back. So the legendary 75 if you have one, there will never be another one ever made ever again. So anyway, appreciate that question and um, keep sending them in. And thank you for the for the comments on the podcast once again, Jerry. Uh, really appreciate that, man. Thanks. Next up, we have Ken who wants to uh, ask a question about uh, Kirk, I believe. Go ahead, Ken. What's up, Chris? What's going on, everybody? This is Ken. Um, Chris, this is basically for the newer folks in the hobby and the people that just don't know. Can you explain to them the tool mark on the forehead above the left eye of a Myers mask, the lineage, you know, where it comes from, why it's there and whatever else you want to throw out. But, um, not 10 minutes ago, I had a guy tell me, I'm not going to buy a mask from you because you damaged it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, there's a dent on the forehead. You damaged it. Yeah, just clear that up for people. Thanks. Is right. Okay. Woosah, woosah, woosah. First of all, as I'm woosawing, thank you, Ken, for for sending that in. Uh, Okay. I'm just going to simplify this. I could go into scientific reasons and the different things, but on the original 1975 Captain Kirk mask that was sculpted in record time, which is why one ear is higher than the other. I mean, it's not a symmetrical mask to begin with, but um, when it was sculpted back in 1975, there was a little bit of a divot punch defect that happened um, during the master, not the mastering process, but when they're finishing up the sculpt, getting ready to mold the, the two piece mold at Don Post studios, there was a little bit of a, of a hit on the forehead. And uh, it's been a signature mark on the Kirk mask in all of its replicas ever since. Now there's some people when they sculpt their own, they take their little uh, knuckle and they dent that even more if it's kind of washed out or needs to be uh, reformed. Uh, it's you know now it's nicknamed the knuckle punch, um, but that's that's all it really was. It was an accident that happened before they molded uh, the sculpt back in 1975, 
and it was on the original Kirk. It was on the original hero. So if he thinks that you damaged it, I'm sorry to say, but dude, you're a dumbass. All right, moving on. Thanks, Ken. All right. Next up, we have Andrew. Take it away, Andrew. Hello. I was wondering if you could tell us the history of Jack in the Box mask. I remember they made some great Myers mask for a really good price. I used to own an awesome Unleashed 75 H4 that I kind of still wish I owned. Jack in the Box. Man, that is a... um... That is a name that you don't hear of quite often. Um, little history. Jack in the Box. In in many respects, was uh, kind of like the original WMP to a sense. And what I mean by that is he saw the value in buying up a lot of molds or masters or collections of molds and masters from other artists that were retiring, kind of like what I did. Now, at the time that I was buying up all the molds and masters, I really was just buying up molds and masters of masks that I liked um, that I wanted to produce on my own. Uh, But with Andrew, um, I actually bought a couple molds directly from him. Andrew Donato was his name at Jack in the Box. A real nice guy. Um, He had a shit ton of molds and masters um, of various sculpts. And for me to sit here and name them all, we'll be here until next week's podcast airs. He had really that many. Um, But overall, yeah, he... I don't know how he did it, to be honest with you, to, to um, to make ends meet or to cover his time and cost and expenses. But uh, there are some masks out there that would normally go for three, four, five hundred dollars that he would sell on eBay for between 50 and 100 bucks. And for those of you that have ever sold on eBay, you know that there is a listing fee, there's a final value fee, and then there's the PayPal fees. Then there's the shipping charge on top of that. So uh, and then, of course, there's the materials. Yeah, uh, apparently he didn't charge for the labor, uh, which is uh, something that is very admirable. Very admirable. And that is something that, um, yeah, that I, I I honestly was shocked about back in the day as how he could afford to sell some of the best sculpts at the best prices that nobody could compete with. Like he was selling independent masks at mass production prices when he was just a little, I, I mean that in all due respect, but he was a, he was an independent shop and he was a one man band. So, um, and I mean this in all due respect, his, his, uh, his paint-ups weren't always the most accurate, and that's probably... I think he's a very, very talented guy. I just think that he painted them up as quick as he possibly could to be able to sell them at the price that he possibly could because he just knew that there was a lot of guys out there that just wanted to collect uh, cheaper masks that didn't have the three, four, five hundred bucks. But, I mean, I remember he was producing the Tony 
uh, sculpt that NAG did for a while, and he was selling those uh, painted haired and shipped for uh, like $90. When uh, there was other copies out there from other artists that had that mold that was going uh, 350 400 bucks at one time, then it dropped down to around 200 and so on and so forth. But yeah, uh, great, great uh, voice voice take, and that's what I'm going to call them now, voice takes. Uh, voice memo just sounds a little weird, but voice take. Um, great job, Andrew. Appreciate it. And keep sending them in. I'll keep getting them on. And uh, we're going to go to Ryan next. Take it away, Ryan. Hey, Chris. Ryan here. Uh, my question is on a... Cinema Secrets and their their Halloween Resurrection mask they pr- they produced back in the day. I bought one back in 2002 when the movie dropped, and uh, I always thought it was a good mass-produced mask. It, it looked really good to me, I thought. But uh, I always kind of always kind of wondered, you know, they claimed that uh, it came from the the movie mold and stuff, and I always kind of wondered how true that was and whatever happened to them, because uh, you don't really see them around anymore or that mask anymore. Love the show, love the podcast. Keep up the good work, brother. Let's go back, uh, shall we? And I'm and and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to paint as clear of a picture as I possibly can. First of all, I appreciate you bringing that up and sending this in. Uh, when Halloween Resurrection came out in 2002, that wasn't the original incarnation of that movie. It was supposed to come out in the fall of 2001, called Halloween: The Homecoming. And it had a uh, little alternate footage and different things going on, but uh, right about the same time, the um, Cinema Secrets, who was hired to sculpt the Resurrection mask, put out a mass-produced version um, directly from the Screen Use Master. So, which is you heard me say last week. Tots, you're not the first one to come out with the supposed um, movie mold or movie master or derivative of the movie, whatever you want, whatever you've said, you know. Cinema Secrets was actually that, that first company that offered something directly from the movie mold because they were the ones contracted for the movie to sculpt the mask for the movie, and then they were given the um, rights to do mass production, um, both in a high-end limited run and a mass-produced run. So let me give let me give a rundown about that and uh, the different incarnations of that mask. So initially, um, they came out with a mass-produced. Uh, 49.95 version, and if you look at any, if there's any on eBay or any for sale out there, ask them to show you the tag that is still on the mask. And if they don't have one, I'd be leery because um, anybody who collects those knows that the tag is going to mean everything. The LM 102 was the first off the line closest to the original master for mass production. Now, hence I said for mass production. We'll get to the collector's edition in a moment. This I'm talking about the mass produced versions, then I'll talk about the collector's series edition. 
So the LM-102, which is the the most sought-after, um, highest-priced version of all of the... It went all the way up to LM-105. So it's the most sought-after. It is the highest detailed, the best paint job, even though it is all gray. But it's the best paint job for a mass-produced item that there was. It was priced at forty nine ninety five. Came out in the spring of two thousand and two. Uh, they were scheduled to come out in two thousand one, but of course, you know, the movie got delayed um, until July of that year. And right around, uh, I want to say it was right around Easter of two thousand and two, they released the LM one hundred two, and they had that going for the better part of a year. They sold a shit ton of copies because it was. It was from a screen-used master. Not the screen-used mold, the screen-used master. It was mass-produced in China, and um, it was casted in white latex. And um, every single one of them that came off of the production line for the LM-102 was pretty highly detailed for a mass-produced mask, uh, especially produced over in China. Now... Um, every single one of them, no matter which uh, version, was stamped with the Falcon International official release on the back part of the mask, um, right around the bottom half of the neck. Um, then you had the LM-103 that came out in 2003. And then uh, later that year, the LM-104 um, came out right around uh, Halloween of 2003 and then 2004 and 2005 saw the LM 104 and the LM 105. Now the LM 105 is the most commonly found. It's called the economy, uh, which is all white, crazy, nasty cotton hair. And it's no detail, but just painted uh, brown eyebrows. It is the last rendition that was out there. And it's also, um, it had the mouth opening slit, um, and it just, it was just not a good, good mask. I mean, after a while they had been producing them for three years and it was just getting to the point where they were still just trying to make, make a buck. I think the LM 105s when they were brand new, they were right around twenty nine ninety five. Um, just, just not a good rendition of it. But, uh, so LM-102, 103, 104, and 105 was the mass-produced lineup. Now, also in 2002, there was a um, collector series edition of 1,000 copies that Trankus uh, and Malik Akkad, Mustafa Akkad, also uh, allowed Cinema Secrets to produce it had a very highly detailed paint job from the creator of the ones who did the fi- the 15 screen use masks. Uh, it also included human hair um, for an upselling point. Now, a lot of people are like, see, I told you I had human hair on the screen use mask. That's not exactly true. Um, I could go in and, and tell you it's a blend of some human hair. Not the human hair that you see a lot of these independent artists put on there, 
but it is a it's a mix of crepe and human to create that uh, that short spiky uh, clumpy chunky hair um, it's hard to explain but that's that's what I use on my masks um, when I do them at least I use as close as I possibly can to the hero hair but uh, you had one of a thousand they were numbered up to a thousand and they came with a COA and um, that's that's where the tots version comes from is I can tell you first and foremost that uh, Justin bought one of those and um, oh before I move on to that the collector's edition was priced at $300 shipped which is pretty damn awesome because that came straight out of the movie mold casting movie mold casting for 300 bucks in 2002 that is pretty much unheard of so especially in this day and age but Justin got himself one of those, casted it, like recasted it, and was selling blanks to uh, his friends or people that uh, wanted copies of it for 45 bucks. Um, I only know this because I bought one in 2002, and I had Boogeyman Masks, who we're gonna, going to talk about here in just a moment, paint hair and send me my copy and in fact my copy is up in um, mmnet and if you look at my copy um, and then you turn around and look at the tots copy it's basically the same mask except it's just a the tots version is a much less detailed version but the collector's edition at this point um, is worth a lot of money i've seen some go for right around two grand if not more, I've seen the LM-102 mass-produced version go for about, uh, I think the highest I saw was $550. Um, I think there was a LM-103 on eBay recently that was right around a grand. Uh, was in excellent shape, but I'm not going to pay a grand for the second generation version. But yeah, um, what happened to Cinema Secrets? They're still around. You know, you can go and you can Google Cinema Secrets and go right to their website. They don't sell masks anymore. They sell a lot of uh, theatrical makeup and appliances and different uh, Halloween makeup and just different makeup for film and television overall. Um, they shifted gears. They wanted to get out of the mass production mask industry, which I don't blame. Um they produced a few other uh, Myers masks. Um, Old Blue Lips was their first sculpt. And then they also had uh, one other one. And then they came out with one in 1999 that looked like he was sucking on a, on a very sour pickle. Um, if you look up Cinema Secrets 1999 Myers mask on Google, you'll find... Uh, You'll find some pretty crazy images, but that was also casted in white latex. I had I owned two of those, uh, just not a good mask. But um, they just got out of the mask game and decided to focus on uh, theatrical makeup and and different appliances and just little knickknack type stuff uh, for Halloween parties and what have you. Go check out their website. Um, I think it's CinemaSecrets.com if I'm not mistaken. 
But uh, but yeah, they they got out of the Myers game, not just the Myers game, but masks in general. There was a they used to sell a ton of um, masks in general, and they were always extra extra large. They were always huge. So um, yeah, that's I I don't know why they got out of the mask game except for the only thing I can think of is maybe that division wasn't turning a profit, and they saw that their makeup and and um, supplies for Halloween of, of that nature was making them a whole lot more money and in any business or television show or anything like that if you're making money doing it you will continue if you're not you won't it's pretty uh, pretty simple so um, that's my that's my guess is why they got out of the mass game entirely but great question man I appreciate that next up we got our boy my boy from over in good old Plant City and uh, really great guy, really great friend, Mr. Tony. Take it away, Tony. Hey, Chris. It's Tony. Got a question about a mask. Um, I ordered a mask on eBay, I think in the late 90s, even probably 99, maybe 2000. And I didn't know much about it back then. I had been wearing and using the old Don Post mask. And I just wanted something more realistic. And I went on eBay and found something called Sam Hain. And I spent a lot of money on that. And, you know, it's okay. I didn't find or I didn't really research eBay enough. I just saw one, figured, hey, that's better. I'll take that. Um, curious as to your thoughts on that mask and, and other than that, thanks. Sam Hain, I am so glad somebody brought this mask up. There's so much history on this. Again, I, I really feel like a lot of these questions, a lot of these stories, you know, I'm just going back to some really early days, and I hope that I've been able to vividly paint a better picture of what the hobby was like 15, 20 years ago uh, versus what it's uh, delved into. But the Sam Hain was not the first boom period, I guess you could say. I mean, it, it really took an already burning flame and just threw gasoline on it. Um, because up until the Warlock, that was the most successful independent Myers mass that was ever produced. But uh, it came out in 2000, so your, your dates are close. Uh, but yeah, it was right around the... It, it was in the fall of 2000 that it was released at the same time MMP mass maker productions Gary Phillips I've already mentioned him once in this podcast was producing a Steve Wang sculpt called the he mask which I have in my have in my possession and uh, creation X has the other master that is called the face of evil I don't know if they still have it or not but it was called the he mask originally and then i don't know how creation x ended up with a with a master of it anyway doesn't matter he mask was first first real independent that really caught the eyes of a lot of people because it was a ground up sculpt um that was being sold primarily through ebay and fetching three four five hundred dollars now you look at it in 2018 and say i don't see how that mask could fetch five hundred dollars but as you just pointed out in your voice message, is all you had back then was Don Post and maybe one other guy that was doing independent 
sculpts. So this was the first sculpt that was kind of mainstream in the indie world. And then um, a guy by the name of John Smith partnered up with Gary because Gary was just catching lightning in a bottle during that time and just being the, he was, he was named the mass maker. You know, that was his nickname. And, uh, the sculpt was made, um, by John Smith produced by Gary Phillips at MMP. Paul Daniels actually goes into a little bit more detail about the process of what happened with Sam Hain, um, and the dark side studios part one or part two. I can't remember which one, but it's in our archives. But yeah, uh, Sam Hain came out as it was meant to be a replica of the H4 poster mask and or cover mask, what people call. And it was the first attempt at doing something like that. And that was just an angry looking son of a bitch. And um, it was like I said, it was the king um, until about 2005. Um, Now, some people will say, well, no, the. The Nightmare Man 78 came out and then the Psycho, but I'm talking about overall sales-wise, volume. Up until the Warlock came out, there was nothing on the indie market that had touched Sam Hain up until that point. And in 2018, there's a lot of people who say, well, it's not very accurate. I'll agree with that, but you know, I got a chance. Uh, Paul Daniels actually ended up getting a master of that, and... Um, has the original two-piece mold in his possession and uh, let me produce a few copies off of it in my last six months uh, taking orders way back when. And uh, I got to really mess with it some, and I'm sorry, you know, once it's fixed up and it's painted correctly, it, it still is just a bad motherfucker. And I would take the Sam Hain over a lot of other sculpts that are out there. I, it maybe for me, it holds a special place in my heart because it was the first independent Myers that I bought, uh, with my own money. So I go back to a time of that year, 2000 fall of 2000, still in college buying my first indie mask. And it cost me right around 300 bucks if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, the Sam Hain, man, um, if you still have your copy, which I think you do, hold on to it, man. That's a piece of history, and I think yours is all original and untouched. I would never have that thing refinished because it's just that's just one of those histories, uh, history pieces, historic pieces that you'll never replicate ever again, and you'll never get back to that time. And uh, when things were just simple, and people were happy to have an independent version and not Don Post out there flooding the shelves. I remember when I would wear my Sam Hain out, um, I always got a ton, a ton of compliments on it from people. I mean, obviously they don't look at things like we do in minute detail to this day, but for being a ground up base sculpt, just looking at a two dimensional reference picture for that time period, I mean, it was untouchable for that time period. But thanks for sending that in, Tony. I really appreciate, um, again, the support of the podcast and um, your voice memos. Thank you. All right. Next up, we have Phil. Yeah, let's go to Phil. Phil has a question about the Alex Sanchez. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Phil here. 
I was just wondering if you had any information and history about the Alex Sanchez H6 mask. Great question, Phil. Um, I think that's your first voice take. Very good job. Short, quick, to the point, and keeps things interactive. Now, um, the Alex Sanchez H6 has a lot of... um, a lot of question marks and a lot of mystery surrounding it. If you just talk to the uh, the head policeman over at the place that we don't normally talk about, but it ends with a uh, with the three letters N E T, um, and he's uh, one of the king moderators over there. He's from Japan. He was going around telling people that it was straight from the movie mold. Well, um, for the longest time, I had no reason to not believe that. But after a while, you know, as you continue to learn things and you're overhauling things, and I think I had Todd Bentley's um, Night Owl 6 in my shop at the same time. I had a Alex Sanchez H6 from uh, Joey Chocolate Bars back in 2013. And that's his name that that was on my board. So don't think that's his real name. But I was looking at them and uh, either Justin loaned Alex a mold or a master to produce things. And maybe Justin got a cut of it. But there were certain markings on that mask and on those castings that were identical. So it had to come from the same source. Um, My guess is the Alex Sanchez is some sort of a derivative casting of one of the Night Owl 6 masks, uh, and Justin just worked out a deal with him. That's my belief. Hope that answers your question. Keep sending uh, stuff in. Appreciate you listening to the podcast and uh, contributing to what we're doing here. Next up, we got Matt Reed. He's got two questions, so take it away, Matt. Hey, Chris. Back when the 2008 Dom Post Myers came out, I I recall hearing rumors that the DB2 was used for their molds. Is there any truth to that that you know of? Thanks. No, the DB2 was not used... As the source, Dennis Beckstrom, a.k.a. DB, uh, was the contracted sculptor to sculpt a Myers mask for Don Post Studios. And um, it was actually looking like it was going to be probably one of the best independent Myers, not independent, I'm sorry, mass produced Myers sculpts ever created and then Don Post got a wild hair up their ass and wanted a bunch of changes and he wasn't paid for them so they moved on and hired someone else to finish it and that ended up becoming um, its own sculpt. So uh, no, the DB2 was not used as a source. What's your next question, Matt? Ask away. Hey Chris, I've always been really curious about the Enigma mask. Um, I don't know much about it. Was it a a live cast or a ground-up sculpt? I was wondering if you can give me a quick rundown on what you may know about it. Thanks, bud. 
Yeah, I actually had to do some research on that mask uh, after I heard your question because I had never heard of it. Um, I had thought of the end mask, which stand, stood for Evil Never Dies back in 2001. I had to go and look up the Enigma mask, and uh, it's not a life cast. Uh, life casts are, are very, they have a very certain look to them that the Enigma mask does not share. So no, it's not a life cast sculpt that would happen to be a ground up. And uh, I think it looks pretty good, to be honest with you. I don't uh, I don't know what happened with the maker or who made it or why it's no longer in production. I have no idea. Um, like I said, you know, until you brought it up, I had to go find out some information because I just never heard a whole lot about it. I heard people mention that name in the past, but I never gave it a second thought. But uh, I went and took a look at several several pictures of it, and it's it's not a bad ground up. It's better than a lot of the other ground ups I've seen. Anyway, uh, appreciate it, Matt, and I hope that answers your your question. Um, if you uh, if you have any more to add to that, shoot it back in. I'll be happy to answer. Marty. I need brace yourselves for temporal displacement. Did we make it? Are we back? <laughs> 